All right, well, let's dive into our sermon for today. We're studying Matthew chapter 6, uh, 7 to 15. Uh, we are in a sermon series called The Greatest Sermon Series Ever, and it's really because we're studying the greatest sermon ever put on by Jesus Christ himself called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at this aspect of prayer because Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he teaches us how to pray through this thing that we now call the Lord's Prayer. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 6, verses 7 to 15. At this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word together. I'll read this for us. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God, I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you after the reading. This is Jesus um, teaching us. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for you and I'll seat you afterwards. Lord, we thank you for this prayer. Would you help us now to be like little children before you and come before our Heavenly Father who we love? And would you bless us now as we commune with you through the word, through prayer, through our practices? Would you help us to be shaped not by our prayers, but really by you, Lord? We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Let me start by asking a question, okay? And the question will uh, appear up here on the screens for you. But why does Jesus ask us to pray if he already knows what we are going to pray? Or like, why does he ask us to pray when he already knows what we're going to pray? In fact, in the passage itself, Jesus tells us this. He says, I already know what you're going to pray. Uh, look with me at verse 8. It'll be up here on the screens for you. He says, do not be like them. He's saying the Gentiles or the secular folks, um, the, 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 the non-believers, right? He says, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In fact, later on in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus will say this in chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. In other words, Jesus is saying this, not only do I know what you're going to pray for, I already have a plan for the whole world. I already know what I'm going to do and I'm going to accomplish, so why pray then? If, if, if you already know what you're going to do, Jesus, and if you already know what I'm going to pray for, why even begin to pray? And here's the answer, okay? I'm going to tell you the answer now, and you're not going to like the answer. You're going to be like, God, that's not satisfactory, Eric. But hopefully throughout the sermon, I'll be able to explain and, and really go deeper on this answer, okay? But here's why then we pray. It's because prayer changes you. Because prayer changes us. And so look, don't get me wrong, I also believe prayer does change things, and that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time, and we can do philosophy, theology, all of that stuff on why and how prayer does actually change things. But the primary purpose, which I think Jesus is talking about here today, is that prayer changes you. And so here, here's, here's the deal. If you are in a season where you feel like God wants to change you, 
Maybe you're starting to recognize, man, I am so incredibly selfish. And my wife and my kids and my husband feel it every single day. And I'm just starting to realize this. If you want to change, you need to be in prayer. Maybe you're starting to realize, I have so many addictions that I can't even count them anymore. You need prayer. Maybe you're starting to realize that you're aggressive, you're not gentle, like the fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit tells us in Galatians. And maybe you are beginning to, to believe, I want to change. Maybe you're suffering from depression and anxiety and you want to change. Now here's the deal, I'm not saying that if you pray, you will automatically change. But I cannot imagine a world where you don't pray and you expect God to transform and change your life. And so what we're going to be talking about in this sermon is really about how prayer changes you, how it pr- changes us as a community. So uh, I have three points. If you have your, uh, your, 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 your notes out, you can write these three points down. But the first point is called deeply personal. Uh, the second point is called deeply communal. And then the final point is deeply loved. Deeply personal, communal, and then loved. Okay. So let's dive into our first point, deeply personal. Um, I, I don't remember who told me this story, and, and I apologize if you're a chef or if you are a restaurant owner, if you know about the, the restaurant world really well, and this is false, I did not uh, fact check myself, okay? So I don't know if this is true or not. Um, and maybe you can correct me after the sermon uh, is done. But I heard, I heard from uh, one person this, um, that actually you don't need a sharp knife to actually cut like well with like veggies and meats and those kinds of things. That's what I heard. And, and the, the, the friend that I heard it from said this. He said that he was once cutting at home and he had a friend who was a chef and the chef took the knife from him, this dull knife, and started cutting the same exact vegetables, but he cut it so much better than the way he was cutting it. And, and what he realized is, of course, the sharpness of the knife matters. The, the knife itself does, of course, matter. But actually, the skill or the person using the knife matters a lot as well. It's not what you use, it's how you use it, in other words. It's not what you use, it's how you use it. You see, the Lord's Prayer is one of the most recited prayers in all the world. Even if you're not a believer here today, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer. It's in TV, movies, on radio shows, whatever, what have you. You've probably heard or recited the Lord's Prayer. But what most people don't know about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus actually uses another prayer to construct the Lord's Prayer. In fact, there was a prayer that was so commonly used in the Jew- Jewish synagogues, it was called the Kaddish. And this Kaddish was prayed again and again and again. So Jewish people would have known this prayer. And so I want to actually show you what I'm talking about here, okay? Um, uh, uh, do we have this chart here on, uh, for us? Okay. So if you look there on the left side, okay, that is the Kaddish. That's the whole Kaddish prayer. And if you look at the right side, those are the first three uh, stanzas, if you would, of the Lord's Prayer, okay? And look at the, the, I tried to bold and highlight this, okay? But look at there, right? It says, exalted and hallowed be his great name. Doesn't that sound familiar? Right, hallowed be your name. Right, look at what it says, in the world which he created according to his will, right? Your will be done in the Lord's Prayer. Right? May he let his kingdom rule, your kingdom come. So you see, right? Like, it's like Jesus borrowing this prayer uh, that people would pray every single day. And the reason why I want to point this out is because I think the reason why Jesus does this, the reason why Jesus borrows this very familiar prayer is because he's essentially saying something to this effect. Hey, like, it's not about the content. Of course, the content does matter, but it's not purely about the content of your prayer. It's about who's behind the prayer. 
It's about the heart that's behind the prayer. It's about the motivation behind the prayer. You don't need something special. You don't need something eloquent. You don't need to stand up uh, on the street corners and pray this eloquent prayer. Thou, Lord, sovereignly heavenly Lord, come thou to thy presence so that you can answer thy requests. You don't need those eloquence. You can use any old prayer because it's not about the content of the prayer. It's about the person behind the prayer. In fact, uh, if you look at verses 7 and 8, I think this is what Jesus is kind of talking about. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And in essence, what he's saying is this, the, the pagan world or the Roman world, they would, they would try to convince their gods by babbling on and on and on and on, trying to convince their gods to give them what they want. Please, God, give us rain, give us crops, give us gold. And they would put together these eloquent prayers where they would go on and on and on trying to manipulate their gods. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that with me. Just bring your heart, bring your motivation. And in fact, one of the key differences between the Kaddish and between the Lord's Prayer is really simple. It's at the very beginning, and I think this is the posture, that he, the heart motivation that he wants us to have. It's found here in this first two words, our Father. He's like, don't, don't come to me with eloquence, don't come to me babbling, don't come to me in all these different ways, just come to me as a, a child would to her Father. In fact, if you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, we'll go through this super quickly, but he uses Father, 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 again and again and again. Look at verse 5, verse 16. We'll, we'll just go through this really quickly, okay? Uh, uh, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your Father. Uh, verse 45 in chapter 5, so that, you're, uh, you're, uh, so that you may be sons of who? Your Father. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 14, chapter 6, verse 18, chapter 6, verse 26, he says again and again and again, Father, 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 Father. And then in chapter 6, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father. Jesus begins his prayer and in fact departs from the Kaddish prayer by making this prayer incredibly and deeply personal. And he says in essence this, you don't need, you don't need to make your prayers long and eloquent. Do you know who you are talking to? Do you know who you are? You are children and you're talking to your father. Uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned, we went on this trip and we were gone from essentially Tuesday to Friday, but Friday I went to sleep and I woke up early in the morning and I had to come to morning prayer and then I had like a pastor's meeting uh, pretty much all day yesterday. And so I didn't see, I haven't seen my kids in like the last four or five days. Uh, and so I missed them. I, I came home. Uh, but when I came home, my daughter, Emily, was sleeping. She's uh, a year old. And um, so I didn't get to see her until she woke up and she came down from her nap. And when she came down from her nap, I was just like, my heart just like exploded with affection for her. I was like, oh, and she, like, you could tell on her face, she, like, her face lit up. She, it, it, she knew she hadn't seen me in a while, and she came towards me. I hugged her, uh, and then uh, I was eating lunch at the time. In fact, this might be TMI, but I was so hot yesterday. I took off, like, my shirt. I took off everything because it was, like, just so hot yesterday, and she was just sitting down with me, my shirt off. I was eating my lunch because I hadn't eaten lunch yet, and, uh, and my wife just thought it was so funny that she started taking pictures of me. And she started sending it to our family. And I was like, what are you doing? Why, why are you taking pictures of me, right? 
But I think my wife's heart was just so full at that moment. And my heart was so full at that moment because I was just with my daughter. And even afterwards, after I was done eating, I took her uh, to our living room and I just laid down and she laid down on my chest and she just stayed there and she just put her head down and she didn't say a single word to me. She's only a year. She doesn't know how to even talk. All she can say is, Nama, Dada, Dodaba. That's what she says. And even though she can't say a single thing to me, even though she can't even say any words to me, she doesn't have to come eloquently. She doesn't have to come with all these words. She just comes to me, and man, I just hug her, and I love her, and I embrace her. Do you understand what Jesus is saying when he says, pray our Father? He's saying, just come. Just come to me. You don't have to prepare anything special to say to me. Just be with me. I'm your Father. You're my child. One of the commentators I was reading, he was saying that, do you understand that Jesus is kind of making a backhanded compliment when he says, our father? He says, because if you think about it, if you are calling him your father, then what are you? You're a child. I don't know if you've ever had backhanded compliments. I've received a few in my life, and one of them, it doesn't happen very frequently, but it's happened like once or twice in my life where somebody comes up to me and says, they're like, you know what, you know what, Pastor Eric? They're like, I don't care what anyone else says. I thought that was a fantastic sermon. And I'm like, in my heart, I'm like, oh, that feels kind of good, but also, like, you kicked me while I was down. <laughs> That's what Jesus is sort of saying. He's saying not only our Father, but he's saying, do you understand who you are now? You're a child. You're weak. You're helpless. And this is how you come to the Father. You come to the Father weak and helpless and in need and in wanting, and you just come to him. You don't have to say anything crazy. You don't have to pray eloquent prayers. You just come poor, needy, helpless, and weak, and come as you are. Remember, he is your heavenly Father, and he knows your heart's desires. He knows your deepest heart's desires, even though you might not even know them. He already knows them. And he says, just come to me. Don't go to alcohol. Don't go to video games. Don't go to Netflix to drown out your pain. He says, come to me. Scream and cry. Come to me and tell me about how unfair the world is. Come to me and tell me that you want this job and how badly you want this job or how badly you want this child, but you can't get this child. Come to me and tell me all of your pain and just scream. You don't have to come eloquently. Just cry like a baby cries. Just come and spend time with me. Don't go to cynicism. Don't go to bitterness. Just come and talk to me about it. Look, I, um, this is related to what I'm just saying, but a little bit unrelated, but just follow me here for a second. I want you to look at this quote from R.T. France, but I thought this was really interesting about the Lord's Prayer. He says, not all aspects of prayer are included in this pattern prayer. Listen to what he's saying. In other words, he's saying, look, look at what's not included in the Lord's Prayer, okay? He says, there is no explicit confession of sin. No direct thanksgiving for blessing already received. No intercession for the needs of the world or for those whom disciples are sent or for their persecutors. All of these may be developed through meditation around the causes, Right, so we could probably come to a place where we're saying, oh, there is confession of sin, there is prayer for the world, right? kind of things of, of that nature. But it comes through meditation. It's not explicitly and directly prayed about in the Lord's Prayer. But he says, but the fundamental starting point is, look at this, worship and petition. Worship and petition. This is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. It's just worship and petition. There's two parts to it. Worship, petition. And isn't this the, the, the relationship that you've always wanted with your parents? Where you just come and you enjoy your parents? And they enjoy you. And you just get to ask them for stuff. You just say, hey, can I get this? Can I get this? Can I get this? 
At the end of the day, prayer is really just enjoying God and asking him for things. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's what it really is. Let me just address some of the, the people or the Christians in the room for a moment. When I talk to some Christians, all they do is they want to ask God for things. That's it. They just see prayer as ask God, give me the job, give me this, give me this, right? And can I encourage and challenge you to not just see prayer as this thing where you ask God for things, but a place where you enjoy God. Where you tell him about your day, where you cry, where you laugh, where you share with God. Just spend time with him. But now look, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I do talk to some Christians who think it's almost selfish to ask God for things. And I actually think this is probably more of the Christians that I meet. They're like, oh, like even when you guys start your prayer, even when I start my prayers, it's like, like, I know like I'm being selfish here, Lord. You have all these caveats. I know I'm being selfish. I know this is a worldly thing, but God, can you give me this job? And it's like, you realize you don't have to make all those caveats. Just go to God and say, God, I want that. I want that job. I, 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 want, I want that girl. I want that guy. He's your father. He already knows what you want. You don't have to explain away all these things. He knows what the deepest desires of your heart are. And so a lot of people, a lot of Christians I meet, they're like, oh, I just want to enjoy God. I don't want to ask him for anything. I just want to enjoy him. I don't want to ask him for anything. And yet God says, no, I'm your father. Enjoy me and ask me for things. Come to me and ask me. Now look, not every time is God going to say yes, 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 yes to your prayers. Of course, there are going to be times where he says no, but he's saying, come and ask me. This is our relationship. Enjoy me and ask me for things. And so let's return to this question. Why pray when God already knows? Why pray when God already knows? Why pray if God already has a plan? It's because it's deeply personal. It's not for us. Uh, it's not for God. It's for us. Look, let me try to articulate this answer in maybe a way that impacts you a little bit more. In college, and I apologize, I'm, I'm talking outside of my field now, so for chefs and now for this example, but um, I'm not a psychologist, but I remember in college, I studied psychology. So if you're a psych professor, if you're, uh, no, have a knowledge, if you're a therapist or whatnot, you have a lot more knowledge than me. But I remember in my developmental psych class, we studied this con concept of attachment theory. And basically, the, the basic theory was that if you, uh, that based on your attachment to your parent, you will have different outcomes. Like, it will impact your outcomes in the future in different ways. And so they named some attachments that were actually really healthy and good that parents should have with their children. And there were unhealthy attachments that parents have with their children. But here's the point that I want to make, right? In terms of our physical minds, it is so important, our attachment to our parents, your outcomes in the future as a child are determined by your attachment. Whether you are generous, whether you are a person of peace, a person of wholeness, whether you are a person who loves other people are somewhat determined simply just by your attachment to your earthly parents. How much more important is your attachment to your heavenly father in terms of your spiritual outcomes? And this is why God says, look, spend time with me. It's deeply personal. Spend time with me. Why? Because I'm going to shape you through my relationship with you. You're going to be formed and shaped simply by spending time with me. Our attachment together is now going to shape you into the person you will become into the future. This leads us to our second point, deeply communal. Now, here's where I thought things got really interesting in the Lord's Prayer. And by the way, we're not going to go into the nitty-gritties, although we will talk about the, 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 the intricacies of the line, but we're kind of taking a 30,000-foot view of the Lord's Prayer just because there's too much to cover. There's so much written about the Lord's Prayer. But here's one thing that really uh, stuck out to me in terms of the Lord's Prayer is how communal the Lord's Prayer is. 
right? Look at look at the screens. Uh, you know, I, I tried to highlight these different parts of the Lord's Prayer, but look look at this, right? Our Father, not my Father. Only Jesus calls His Father my Father, but it's our Father, right? Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer was given uh, in the context of public praying. Right? So think about the context in which Jesus is saying this. Right? You, do you remember last week we talked about this? Right? Your prayers go into your room and close the door and pray. Don't let anyone know your prayer life. But Jesus now, I think he interjects the Lord's prayer here because he's essentially telling us this. Of course, you're going to have to pray publicly sometimes. You're going to have to pray in community because it's important. And this is why we include prayers in our community groups, prayer during services, because we should pray communally. And he says, when you pray communally, pray like this. Pray this way when you're praying communally. And you have to imagine now, the early church, historians tell us that the early church only prayed the Lord's Prayer usually, actually not all the time, but usually in the context of services, in the context of worship services, in the worship gathering, they would pray this prayer again and again and again. Now here's the kicker, right? Jesus tells us to pray publicly and he teaches us to pray in this way. But I think what Jesus is asking us is this. Do you really want this? Or are you just praying to sound eloquent before the audiences? Like, do you really, really want this prayer that you're asking me? Or are you just trying to sound eloquent before audiences? Because remember last week, that's what it was all about. Sounding eloquent, sounding like you're holier than thou. He said, are you just trying to sound holier than thou in your prayers? Or do you really, do you really, really want what you're praying for? Uh, I'll give you an example, right? Um, uh, and I'll try to relate it back to the Lord's Prayer in a moment. But I remember on YouTube, I was watching this clip. And the clip was, I think, of uh, some person who was trying to kind of act smarter than they were. And um, this person was saying like, oh, I read so much, I read so much, I read so much. And so the person interviewing them was saying, oh, uh, so just can you tell me what you're reading right now? And, um, and, but you could tell that that person was saying that they were reading a lot just to sound like they're smart, right? You know, those, sometimes people say that, oh, I read a lot. But it's just because they want to sound like they read a lot, right? They don't actually read a lot. And so the person, oh, what are you reading right now? And this person was like, like, you know, kind of searching, 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 and they couldn't even find one thing they were reading. And so they finally said, I'm reading Game of Thrones. And the person was like, uh, Game of Thrones is not a book. And they were like, no, 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 it is a book. It is a book. And he's like, well, do you know what the title of the Game of Thrones books are called? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. It's called Game of Thrones. And he's like, it's actually called The Song of Ice and Fire. It's not called The Game of Thrones. And so in that moment, you could tell that that person really didn't read. And this is kind of, what I think, what Jesus is getting at here. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're praying the Lord's Prayer, okay? You're praying in this community context back in the first century in Jesus' day where some people have bread and other people don't have bread. That was a reality that they lived in. There was a reality where some people would not eat for a whole day because they literally did not have physical bread. And so when Jesus tells them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's not talking about some spiritual bread, some metaphorical bread. He's saying, give us bread. We need it. And so imagine now you're sitting in the context of community, praying the Lord's Prayer, and you have 15 pieces of bread at home. And your neighbor you know doesn't have any bread, and you say, give us this day our daily prayer. Do you really want God to give them bread? Do you really, really want God to give them bread? Do you really want that, or are you just trying to sound eloquent in your prayers? Are you trying to sound like you're holier than thou? Do you want God to supply bread for the whole world, or do you... 
and, and if so, what, what, what would you do in that moment? You would take your 15 bread and you say, well, I think I could sacrifice three of them for you. Here, here's three bread. Oh my goodness, that person only has two pieces of bread. That'll only last them two more days. Hey, if, if that doesn't last you, why don't you come back and talk to me at that time and then maybe I can give you some bread. Do you really mean what you're praying? Or are you just trying to sound holier than thou is, I think, what Jesus is asking us. When you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, do you really want God to forgive that person next to you? Right, imagine with me, you're sitting there and you hate the brother that you're literally praying with. Like maybe he like didn't invite you out to his birthday party and so now you're kind of mad because you're like, why didn't you invite me out to your birthday party? Huh? I thought I was your best friend. You always talk about it, huh? Why not? And all of a sudden you say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you really want God to forgive him? If so, you forgive him then. Why are you asking God to forgive him? If you really want him to experience forgiveness, you forgive him first. This is why I think Jesus goes on and on about forgiveness towards the end of it. He's saying, look, do you really want forgiveness or are you just trying to sound holier than thou in that moment? Look, let's just say, right, you win the, let's just, let's just make up a hypothetical scenario, right? Let's just say one day you win the lottery by God's grace and you win $250 million, okay? And one of your friends comes over to you and says, oh man, uh, you know, I, I, I owe the bank $200,000, man. And like, I, I have all this debt with this bank and I, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay it off. And in that moment, you're like, brother, dude, man, that's such a hard situation, man. You know what? You know what I'll do? Let's go over to the bank right now. I'm going to plead on your behalf, okay? So you, you take them over to the bank, right? You go to the bank manager. You bring your friend in. Please forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. I think your friend at that moment would be like, couldn't you just help me and forgive me my debt? Couldn't you just help me in that moment? Why are you praying when you can do it? Let's put a little twist into this, okay? Let's just say the reason why this friend owes the bank $200,000 is because he actually took out a loan from the bank to pay you back $200,000 because he owed you $200,000. Why are you asking God to forgive people when you yourself can't? Why, you, why are you passing the buck off to God is what he's saying. You forgive them. If you want them to experience forgiveness, if you want them to experience my grace, of course pray for it, but then you forgive them too. This is why in verse 14 and 15 it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And I don't think this is conditional, right? God is not saying, if you forgive, then I'll forgive, right? He's not saying that. But I think he's asking us this question. Do you really want forgiveness? Do you really want other people to experience forgiveness? Do you really want God to cancel our debts? If so, then go cancel your neighbor's debt then. Look, Dallas Willard calls this concept of what I'm talking about, he calls it sticking to your prayers. Right? When you pray for somebody, do you really want them to be healed? For example, let's just say somebody says, hey, can you pray for my mom? She has cancer. I really want her to experience healing. Do you really want that for them? If so, stick with your prayers. Keep praying for them. And then go up to them and follow up with your prayers. Go say, hey, how's your mom doing today? I've been praying for her. Is she getting better? Hey, it, it, like, uh, it, how are her chemo treatments going? I've been praying that she has comfort in that time. Is, is she actually getting comforted? Okay, oh, she's not getting comforted. Okay, let me go and pray more then. And you follow up, but you stick with your prayers. Follow up with them. Stick with it. Because if you don't stick with your prayers, perhaps the reason why you pray is not because you actually want that thing for them, but it's because actually you're just trying to sound holier than thou. 
And so let's go through the Lord's Prayer. Look, do you really want God's name to be hallowed? This word hallow means holify. Like, do you want God's name to be holy? And it's not that God's name is not holy, but do you want the world to understand that God is holy? If so, what do you do? You have to live a holy and set-apart life. Do you really want that? Do you really want the world to know that God is holy? Then you have to live holy. Look, do you really want his kingdom to come? Right? If so, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been studying all the time, how do we bring in his kingdom into this earth? How? Through our obedience. Do you really want his kingdom to come? If so, don't just pray about it. Live it. Bring his kingdom into earth by obeying him. Do you really want bread for the whole world? Do you really want love and forgiveness of debts? Do you really want to alleviate the testing that sometimes God puts people through? This is what he means by lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That word temptation can also mean testing or trials. Just like Job, you remember Job in the book of Job, he went through testing and he was suffering a lot. And maybe you're praying this prayer and somebody in your group is suffering. Well, then maybe you can help alleviate their suffering. Do you really, really want it? The next time we pray communally, ask yourself, do you really want this for this person? Or are we just putting on a show? Look, I know I do it. Sometimes I pray these big, large prayers. Thou, Lord, sovereign, heavenly, gracious Father, thank you for all of your wondrous gifts, O sovereign Lord. Would you come down and reveal your Holy Spirit to thy but in reality, I'm just putting on a show. Do I really want those things? Do you see how these communal prayers not only change things, but they change you? Do you see how prayer is supposed to change you? It creates an authentic person of integrity who says, I'm not just going to pray, but I'm going to follow up. I'm going to stick with my prayers. This leads us to our third and final point, deeply loved. Let's go back to the beginning of the sermon now. Why does Jesus ask us to pray if he already knows what we're going to pray for? Why does Jesus ask to pray if he's already in control of the entire world? And here's the thing. I know for many of us, we think of it in a negative way. But for me personally, as I studied this passage and I, as I thought about it more, I came to realize that these are actually really great things. That our prayers don't manipulate and change God. I think sometimes we think of it negatively. that we can't, Like our prayers don't do anything or God already knows everything. But I actually see it very positively. Because think about the alternative to what this would mean. Imagine we could manipulate God. This is what Jesus says, right, in verse 7. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, he's saying this, right, back in those days, the pagans would actually pray, 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 so that they could manipulate the gods. And, God, and Jesus is saying, I can't be manipulated. I can't be coerced. Let me ask you this. Would you trust a leader who is so easily swayed and manipulated by the people that he or she is leading? Would you trust that leader? Would you want to follow a leader like that? Right? Like, imagine if, like, as a pastor, I had no vision for the church, no direction for the church. And it was just like, what, what do you guys want? What do you guys want? What do you want? And, and then, like, 500 people tell me different things. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? This is why good leaders have a vision and a direction and a plan. And this is why people trust them. Right, this is why you trust Martin Luther King Jr. Because he had a vision and he wasn't swayed by people's opinions. Right, he had a plan and he was going to execute that plan. This is why Steve Jobs was stands out because he had a vision and a plan and he executed it. And he wasn't swayed by what people said. Right, People wanted the iPad mini, but he was like, mm -mm, no ways. That's not a part of our vision. And then as soon as Steve Jobs died and then uh, the other guy took over, they came out with iPad minis. 
the best leaders that I know, the best leaders that you know, are the people who are not swayed by our opinions, who cannot be manipulated, who cannot be coerced. These are the greatest leaders of all. The greatest leaders are the people that you don't change them, they change you because of their presence. And is this, is this not the kind of leader that we want to follow? A leader who would change us because they are so convicted, because they have a plan, because they know their people so well that they know even things that you don't know about yourself. You know, one of the best leaders that I knew, that I know, is my mom. My mom converted our entire family. I mean, like, uh, you know, my dad's mom, she converted him. She converted my dad. Uh, she converted uh, uh, her sister, her brother, her mom, her dad. She, like, brought the gospel to all of these different people. She is an, an incredible leader. She led my dad to Christ. She led me to Christ. She led my brothers to Christ. And one of the things that my mom does so well is she actually knows people even before they know themselves. When I was a kid growing up, especially in high school, I used to get into a lot of fights with my dad. I used to be like, Dad, you don't love me. You don't care about me, right? And my mom would try to dissect for me why it is that I was fighting with my dad so much. And she would tell me that she said, Eric, do you know why you fight with your dad so much? She said, I know you're not going to believe me, but, but hear me out. She said, it's because you're exactly like your father. You're stubborn just like him. You hate him because he's stubborn, but I'm telling you, you're stubborn. You know what I replied to my mom? I was like, no, I'm not stubborn. I'm not stubborn. And she's like, nah, you see right there? That's stubborn. <laughs> only till I grew up, only like literally recently when I became 30, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm stubborn. Like, I, I realized how stubborn I am. My mom knew things about me before I even knew them. And this is what made her such a great leader in our household. She knew the things that we needed even before we could even ask. Do you want a leader like that who knows you even before you speak those words? Do you want a leader who knows exactly what you need? If you remember a while ago, uh, Pastor Derek uh, spoke on Mark chapter 2 on the paralytic man. Right, the paralytic man, if you remember Jesus teaching in this house, the friends want to get him to, to Jesus, and so they open up the roof, they lay, they, they lower the paralytic man down right in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Do you remember? Jesus says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. I think it'll be up here on the screens. He says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, your sins are forgiven. What? You're, he's paralyzed, Jesus. That's what he needs. He needs to be able to walk and to feed himself and not to rely on these four other guys who brought him here. What are you saying for your sins are forgiven? Jesus knew what he needed even before he even knew what he needed. And this is what the story is telling us. The story tells us that Jesus knew the deepest need of his heart even before he knew it. He thought it was his paralyzed body, but it was his paralyzed soul that he needed healing from. And Jesus in the same way knows what we need. And this is why he doesn't say yes to every single prayer that you have. The reason why he doesn't say yes is because he knows your needs even before you know them. And Jesus knows that what we need most is not physical, material things, but what we needed was the forgiveness of sins. This is why when he came, he didn't heal the entire world. Yes, of course, he healed people along the way, but he didn't heal the entire world. What he did was he healed the entire world of our sins by dying on a cross. And even when people looked at the cross, they were like, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know what the world needs? We need a king. We need an emperor. We need somebody who's going to come in and take over the Romans. And Jesus is like, I know what you really need. You need the forgiveness of sins. 
You need me to take away the punishment and the wrath of God so that you can be with the Father. What you need most is a relationship with the Father, and I'm going to open that up. This is why the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, tells us this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knew we needed that. We needed a relationship with the Father. And the thing that was blocking us was our sin and our shame. And now the Father can look at us and say, I am proud of you, not because of what you've done. The Father can say, I love you. The Father can say, come and talk to me. The Father can let you into his throne of grace. Why? Not because of what we've done, what we've accomplished, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You know, I know most of us in here come from an Asian-American background, and if, uh, if you do, you remember this, right? Um, Shang-Chi, the movie came out in Marvel. You guys remember? There was this meme that was escal- uh, you know, circulating all around. Do we have that meme, by the way? Do you remember this meme? Uh, uh, you know, what's the most unrealistic part about Asian, uh, the Asian part in Shang-Chi? Is, is this scene, right, where the mom is like, I'm proud of you. We're like, that never happens. <laughs> What are you talking about? My dad always told me, hey, you got to work harder. You could do better in school. You could do better in football. My dad would give me advice about football even though he never played football in his life. (laughs) You know, I joke about this, but but I think sometimes when we, as Asian Americans, think about our fathers, we think about it like this, that our father's never proud of us. That our father never loves us. But do you understand that God is proud of you? And he's not proud of you because of what you've accomplished. He's proud of you because of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf. And when he looks at you, he looks at not a sinner, but he sees a saint now. So many of us, our lives don't look the way we imagine it. You thought you'd be married by now. You thought you'd have kids by now. You thought you'd have a good paying job by now. You thought you'd be successful by now. And sometimes you don't want to come to church because you don't want to explain your life. And God looks at you and he died on a cross for you. He gave you his righteousness and he says, look, I'm proud of you. Even though your life doesn't look like the way it's supposed to look like. Why? Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. Now come and spend time with me. Let my leadership change you. Let my presence change you. Come and talk to me. You see, because of your identity, God can say he's proud of you, friends. You know, my daughter, Emily, again, and she's one years old and... Um, you know, one of the things that she started doing recently is, um, you know, one day, I forget how this got started, but my wife was asking, I think, our boys, Josiah and Ezekiel, to wink, to try to wink. And so she's like, can you wink like this, right? Can you wink? And so my boys were trying it, but then all of a sudden, Emily started doing something. She started going like this. She just started blinking like this, right? And we thought it was so cute. We're like laughing and like, and, and man, every time she blinks, Every time we try to wink, right, I'll, I'll, I'll just go up to it. Like, even yesterday, I was like, I was like, hey, I'm like, can you do this? Can you do this? And she was just going and I do exactly what you did. I laugh a little. And I just enjoy it. But imagine with me now, a 50-year-old man comes up to me and be like, Eric, look at me. I can blink. Look at me. Are you proud of me? I'd be like, uh-uh, I ain't proud of you. You should be blinking. <laughs> I'm only proud of my daughter because she's my daughter. Not because of what she's done. Like, bl- anybody can blink. <laughs> But I think her blinking is so cute. I think her blinking is so amazing because of who she is. Do you understand who you are? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are his children. And he's proud of you. He loves you. And he's knocking at your door. He's determined to let you know, I love you. I came to earth. I gave you my scriptures. I gave you a church. I gave you community. I'm trying to tell you I love you. Do you understand it? 
Do you understand it? Do you get it? Come and spend time with me. I'm knocking at the heart of the, the door of your heart. I'm knocking, knocking. Come, come, spend time with me. I want to shape you. I want to hear from you. I'm your wonderful counselor. Friends, I want to, before we close this out, I just want to put one last plug for our prayer service on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. and come and spend time. I know it's in a public place. It's not quite as secret as you like, but we do turn off the lights. We let you pray on your own. But come out. If you need that accountability, come out and pray in a community. We, we talk about some of the needs of the church. Pray, come. And let the Father shape you. Let the Father tell you He's proud of you. Let the Father tell you that He loves you because He is and He does. Let's pray. Lord Father, I'm so sorry, God. There are times where I, I feel you, God, calling me back to prayer. Even in times of my day, Lord, I just sense you saying, come and pray right now. Just take a minute. And Lord, there's so many times Lord, where I confess, I just don't. I say, no, 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 I'm too busy, Lord. I'm too busy. I've got important things to do, Lord. So Lord, I come back to you in confession, remembering, God, that you give us the greatest gift of all, and yet I turn away from it every day. But Lord, help, help me, help us as a congregation, Lord, to continuously come back to you in prayer. May you shape us, may you form us, may you help us to understand how much you love us, Lord. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his cross. We thank you for his forgiveness, God. We thank you that he's made us into new people. And God, we pray that we would not squander this identity, this squander this relationship that we have with you, Lord. Would you help us to come before you in prayer, in the secret place, in our communities, Lord, and lift up our requests to you, Lord, to enjoy you and to ask you of things, Lord. God, we thank you so much for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.